Is Jaron Jackson the most overrated player in fantasy basketball? Well, in today's show, I'm going to talk about that and a full season preview for the Memphis Grizzlies, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or enter the promo code LockedOnNBA for a free water bottle with any purchase. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Apologies again that the Lakers preview show had the wrong questions on it. Just answer them. Just a way of collecting data and having some sort of tiebreaker system because we get way more uh, entry applications for Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl than we do for than we do spots. So apologies for that, but there is going to be another opportunity in today's show to get into the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. What is the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl? Well, it's a large field fantasy basketball tournament in either category leagues or points leagues. 12-team divisions with a maximum of 60 divisions in each. I think we'll get the 60 for categories. We might not get it for points, but we'll see. Um, 40 max games per week. 18-man rosters, slow drafts for both. You can enter both of them. It's $50 entry. Top two finishes in each division make it through to the final Battle Royal Week and you get $200 back. And then everyone in that final Battle Royal Week has a chance to win one of the top three prizes. Later in the show, we're going to be giving you a specific question to uh, to fill in on that entry form to uh, hopefully get yourself a position in the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl for this upcoming season. But we are here to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. So, uh, yeah, warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right, how does the schedule look? That laugh felt a little bit off then. The schedule for the Grizzlies this season. They have 45 quality games for the year, and I'm done explaining what quality games are. If you don't know what they are, go watch one of the the first 14 of these shows that I've done. They have 45 of them. That's sort of in the middle of the pack. It's not the, the highest, which is 51. The lowest is 39. Sorry, highest is 55. Lowest is 39. So they're closer to the low end versus the high end. And I'm guessing part of that is because of the Demetrius Morant suspension. They have 14 back-to-backs. That's right in the middle. 13 max weeks. A max week is when you usually it's four, when you play a four-game week. So you've got the most games of anyone. So 13 of the 24 weeks. They're at maximum. Their playoff schedule is, I would say, relatively rough. There's a big stretch of three gamers in there. They start, if you finish 24th of March, they go 4-3-3. That's the end date for Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. They go 3-3-3 if you finish 31st of March. That's rough. They go 3-3-4 if you finish Yahoo Default, 7th of April. And they go 3-4-4 if you finish on the 14th of April, which is the ESPN default situation. What's the pressure points on this team? Well, I don't really think there are many other things. It's what the hell happens without Ja Morant, who is suspended the first 25 games. At this point, before media day, before the preseason, we don't know. And I would expect 
in preseason, the guy that starts, and I believe, and I spoke to Keith Parrish about this and Joe Mullinax about this, um, that they said that the guy that starts the first game, the first starting lineup they run out there, first preseason game, is likely going to be the player who starts the first regular season game. So we know it's going to be Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, no, Marcus Smart, Desi Bain, Jaron Jackson, Steve Adams. What we don't know is the other spot. There's probably four contenders, I would say. Five, maybe. And that's the pressure point. Are they going to start Luke Kennard and get shooting and spacing and a little bit of ball handling out there? Are they going to start David Roddy and get worse play out there? Roddy's at least got some size, but yeah, I I don't think he should play the three ever. Are they going to start Jake LaRavia, who's made some big strides after struggling in year one and actually fits size-wise, ball movement-wise, shooting upside-wise decently well, but he hasn't shown it at all? Could they go back to Zaire Williams, who they had high hopes for last season and completely shit the bed? Or do they go with someone like Lil John Concha? Okay! Who's a really good defender, good out-of-position rebounder, um, solid ball mover, shooting can be a little bit iffy. So there's five different options there. So five, yeah, Roddy, not Roddy, Roddy, LaRavia, Canard, um, Concha, and... Oh, did I miss someone? No, oh, the, oh, the other one they can go with is Santi Aldama. And they could go really, really big. I, I don't think they would do that. Isaiah Williams is the other one. That's six different options. And that just mucks everything up. Now, none of those guys are particularly high value. Luke Canard's maybe the interesting one to take with your last pick. I don't really love Roddy or LaRavia there. But if we do see that Jake starts opening night, when he does move into round 13, round 14, pick 150 sort of discussions. Because if he starts and plays 29 minutes, 13, 4, 3, 1 steal, 1.5 threes, it's not bad. But it's just going to be a whole mess, I think, across that entire position, at least until Jar returns. And then, assuming he doesn't go out again, and then after that, everything will sort of settle back in to the role. I would put Luke Kennard as the heavy favorite into that position, but... I uh, haven't really heard anything. That first preseason game is going to be the key thing for us to watch. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dog shorts, they make you look good. Not only do they make you look good, they make you feel good because they're comfortable. With their cloud knit fabric, everything on the shorts just feels comfortable. It might look like a traditional khaki short, but they're not stiff and or cottony like that. It's got this uh, cloud knit fabric, as I said, with anti-stink sweat whipping, wicking fabric. So no matter what you're doing, whether you're playing on the golf course, you're out playing basketball, you're out at a mate's house, you're 10-pin bowling, whatever it is you're doing, bird dogs will transition themselves from a casual athletic short to a you know, nice little short that you can wear going out. Makes your thighs pop as well with that slimmer fit. It's a fantastic thing. And always, always Bird Dogs is going to have an offer for you of something they're going to give you for free. Not only do you get the uh, advantage of getting these brilliant shorts, but they give you something. And this time, it's a free water bottle. So if you go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA, you enter the promo code LockedOnNBA at checkout, and you get that free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. So who are the breakout candidates on this team? I I think the two names that I've got there and what we talk about breakout is like, what is the chances they exceed their level of projections? That's what I'm looking at. I could throw Kennard there. I could throw Des Bain there. I could throw Jaron Jackson there, although he's a story for later on. Um, but 
I've sort of baked that stuff in a little bit for Canard, and I've baked it in for Bane already. And again, Jaron, different story. We'll talk about him later. But I haven't really given much thought or haven't given much of a bump to LaRavia or Zaire because I just don't know how they're going to factor into the rotation. But if Taylor Jenkins decides that Jake's the starter, well, at least the first two and a half months, two months, the numbers could go through the roof. And then if he actually is successful in that role, he maintains a rotation role, even when Morant returns. And the same for Zaire Williams. I thought he was quite poor last season. I didn't love him as a, I didn't like him at all, in fact, as a draft prospect. But the Grizzlies seemed to like him enough to trade up, which included Kenneth Murphy III in that trade, to get to number 10 to get Williams. He hasn't done anything to justify it. What if they got faith back? What if last season the knee injury is what really killed him and he jumps into a larger role? I wouldn't be excited about either of those guys at this point, but I think they are worth mentioning as players that when we look at their projected level of production or how we see them for the upcoming season, there is a real chance that they can uh, put put some numbers up that maybe we weren't expecting. And now let's go under the lens and talk about Des Bain. Bain is sometimes a little bit of a tricky one to look at because there are a few things. He's got this really interesting fantasy game where when you look at nine cat ranking numbers, he looks like an unbelievable player. And you could look at his projection numbers for the season and you look at it and go, man, is Desmond Bain going to be a top 20 player? Is Desmond Bain going to come out and blow up and be a, a pseudo first round guy? Like These are all things that that do have the potential to, not to happen, but to be reported or to be pontificated on or to be discussed about where Bain goes because we expect that he's going to take on more usage with Jar out. I, I, don't, I don't really think that's controversial at all. Um, and yeah, that is this game of a scorer who hits threes, who does it efficiently, who doesn't turn the ball over a huge amount. That can look pretty good in, um, in in fantasy leagues and in category rankings, but is it like, is it real? Last season for points leagues, fifty second, forty eighth in ESPN points leagues. That's Yahoo points league fifty two, ESPN forty eighth, and in minus one rankings, 49th. 49th. But when you look at the traditional nine cat straight rankings, it'll tell you he was much better than that. And part of the reason why I'm a little bit down on him for head-to-head is his biggest strength comes from threes. And we can find threes in lots of spots. I'm not saying that they do it as efficiently or at the same volume as Bain or add the points on or any of that. But his number one category is threes. And that leads to, I think, sometimes an overvaluation of where a player like that sits. The other really interesting thing, look, and I've got the, we've got the graphs we always show here, is that he started off the season, he had some struggles early, but he actually had some big weeks. I think we thought that he just struggled early on. He struggled week one, but then 17 threes, 12 threes, nine threes, hurt his toe, came back, struggled on the way back, but then was consistently 12, 10, 9, 12, 7, 7, 12, 4, 6, 7, 11, like double digit threes every second week, which is really good. He averaged three threes a game. Those numbers are very, very good. But, the trend is there is downwards. A lot of that is because there was a big gap in the middle. But he was sort of hovering. He was okay. He wasn't fantastic. He wasn't blowing up with four threes a game, Steph Curry-like. Could that be something that he does this season? Maybe. But watch this. Let's look at 
the usage for Deza. Started out with the 25, 26, a 32 usage week. Remember towards the end of last season, Jamarant was out and Bain's usage didn't really change. Now, some of that is Dylan Brooks being there, but it basically stayed the same. You know, 27, 24, 25, 28, all those numbers, irrespective of what the actual number is, his number from week 10 to week 24 actually was going down. Even though Morant was out for big chunks of that stretch down the season, in and out with, with injury and with um, suspension and, and coming off the bench and all that stuff. He didn't see a gigantic spike in usage. And I think we maybe some of what we price into Bain for this season is we think that's going to happen. What is more interesting is that the assists spiked. He had multiple weeks of getting around 20 assists a week, 19, 19, 15, 19, 16, 15. And that just continued to rise as um, as Jar missed a bunch of time there. But, there's always a but. The difference here is that Dylan Brooks, who was playing alongside him in that those lineups, is replaced by Marcus Smart, a legitimate real point guard. And when Morant comes back, it's going to be Smart and Morant both handling the ball, I would guess, I would guess more than Bain. So while we can look at, and some, this is where confusion can reign in terms of trying to project players, is that we look at Bain and we say, well, Morant is out, so his usage will rise and left to take on more ball handling, not understanding that the Marcus Smart is in there who provides more ball handling, more, more, um, more pick and roll stuff than what Dylan Brooks did. So does that, now, Smart obviously doesn't do it to the same level of, as Morant doing it, but it doesn't allow for this gigantic spike. It's not just Morant out and nobody in. So while we looked at those assist numbers rising for Bain as the season went on, I'm not sure it's going to be quite the same. His minus one ranks, some really strong weeks early in the season, a top 20 week, a top 30 week, a top you know, a 31st there. And then it was quite up or down. Some of that is schedule related. And when the good weeks were on, he, he was putting up pretty strong numbers, even in minus one which I said he was well behind in terms of uh, that versus standard category projections. He's going to be quite a good player this season. I'm not here to completely tear down Bain. He averaged you know, 23.5 points last season with with five assists a game. 23.5. Actually, that's not true. Sorry. My bad. He averaged um, 21.5 with five assists, five rebounds and four and a half, four and a half assists. Yeah, I think that assist pushed to five this season. Um, I think the scoring gets to maybe 23, but... Also remember that when you're looking at season averages, it's all going to be up here early on, and then it's probably going to dip later on. Especially the assist numbers, where he goes from second option behind Smart to third option behind Smart and Morant. And even though the usage didn't spike last season, it might have a little bit of a spike this year. Now, Bain is still young. He's in year five. He's 25, though. He's older than a lot of those players. But he's still not at his peak. And he's going, in terms of drafts, he's going at, I think okay spots. Like it really depends where you're drafting though. It's like an ADP of 22 on on Yahoo, which I think is okay. But again, he's valued a lot by the threes. That that really helps him in terms of production. Although I don't think the threes will be his best category this season. But then you get to certain other spots where Des Bain's got an ADP of 54 on ESPN. Like that's crazy. That's insane value. Even on fan tracks, he's got an ADP of 38. Even that I think is is, is really good value. So where you're drafting and how you're looking at him just depends on what site you're on and who you're drafting with. This was interesting to me, the Darko DPM change graph. Started out with some really positive improvements, kept 
going positive improvements. Now, he hasn't hit any regression or anything, but the rate of improvement for him slowed down considerably last season. I think we might get that spiking up a little bit at the start of the, the year, but he is 25. Again, this is not regression. He's not at a spot where he's getting worse, but he is 25. So as a general rule, a lot of rookies come in and they're year six by now, year seven maybe. Bain came in as an older player. Actually, he's not, sorry, he's not year five. He's, he's his fourth year, sorry. So, you know, he's in that situation where when those players come in at 19, they get to age 25, their their rate of progression slows because they're, they're basically in this like area, like a pre, pre-peak, pre-prime. And Bain's sort of there already, which a lot of that is age-related. There's some experience factor. But he's getting to that where he's, I'm not sure we're quite at the very best version of Des Bain. And we're definitely on the way down. But we're a lot closer to the very best version of Des Bain than I think we might think is the case. And I'd be really cautious with him early season if those numbers do spike as to whether they can continue at that level. The last thing on Bain here I want to talk about is a couple of things I looked at there. What is the percentage of um, shots at the rim that were unassisted is I think interesting to look at because on this graph, we've got a bunch bunch of different players, which is what we always do. because yeah, that's how this stuff works. There's a few guys on here that I think are pretty interesting for us to take a look at. As I just realized, that's the wrong graph, and that's the one from uh, the Lakers and, and Austin Reeves. I'll go fix it. That's a better graph. So what I'm actually looking at here for this one is a couple of things. Offensive involvement rate, so how often you're you involved in the offense. And the second part there on the y-axis is three-point pull-up talent percentile. Now, Bain is a very good off the, off the catch, catch and shoot, three-point shooter. He's elite at that. And I wanted to see what he's able to do when the ball is in his hands more. Is he still that level of three-point shooter? And it looks like yes. 95th percentile in pull-up three-point shooting ability. The other one there that is interesting is offensive involvement rate percentile. I mean, how often are you involved in the offense? In terms of the NBA, Bain's around a bit under the 70th percentile. That's equivalent with someone like an Austin Reeves. I've got Jaron Jackson on this graph as well, who's down below 60th percentile involvement rate. I think that Jaron's going to take probably a bigger usage step forward than Bain. And Jaron's obviously way down the bottom in that left corner with lower three-point pull-up shooting talent percentile. But the the zone that Bain needs to get to as a player, I think, without Morant there is there's two guys that are uh, further to the right. And one of them is Tyler Hero. The other one's Zach Levine. They are up there closer to that 90th percentile in involvement rate, but also still running at 95, 96th percentile in terms of pull-up talent numbers and shooting numbers. Jar Morant's way over there, and you can see how much of the offense he's involved in, like 97th percentile. His pull-up three-point shooting talent, which is obviously the hardest shot to hit versus catch and shoot, is equivalent to Austin Reeves. Still better than you think, but it's there. But Bain's challenge is going to be here. As his offensive involvement rate increases, or if it does, does he maintain that efficiency where Hero and Levine are? Because at the moment, like he's putting up really good fantasy numbers, he's doing it efficiently, he's hitting the threes, but if he has to do more of this himself, if he has to be involved more, does the three-point shooting talent stick? He's doing it on a lower lower volume of offensive involvement as a general rule, and we want to see if that maintains, or does it head more down towards where Morant is in that? He's obviously a way better shooter than Morant, but it is, I think, something that we can't just necessarily port everything across. Well, he's this level of shooter. He's this efficient. We'll give him four extra usage percentage points, and he might not even get it. 
does all that stuff stick? And, and the answer is probably not. And just factor some of that in when you're um, when you're considering him for uh, one of your fantasy draft picks. Today's episode is also brought to you by DoorDash. You get stuff delivered from restaurants or DoorDash all the time. But you're there, you're sitting at home, you're cooking yourself dinner today. And you sit there and you go, I do not have an onion. Where's my onions? How do I cook my base flavor here without onions? I need this. I can't leave the house. My partner's got the car. She's at work. What am I going to do? Well, DoorDash does grocery deliveries for you. With thousands of grocery stores to choose from, you'll find the best in your neighborhood and boost the local economy with each and every order. Now, it's very easy to do this, but if you just, you're not going to go in there and say, give me an onion, they come back with a white salad onion or a red onion. I, I want a brown onion. I want the ones that I need to cook for my flavor base. You, you select all this on the DoorDash app and they will sort it out and get you it as if you are the one there picking it out yourself. You get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use the code LOCKEDONNBA at checkout. Limited time offer terms apply. That's 50% off, up to 20 bucks, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, the code is LOCKEDONNBA for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. Let's talk, uh, let's talk fantasy sleepers here for the Grizzlies because... There are a couple of guys who I think are ranked interestingly. And one of them is the big man in the middle, Steve Adams. Adams is a guy, again, much like Bain, where some standard ranking numbers can look very, very different for him. They won't look particularly strong at all because he is a putrid free throw shooter. And if we look at what Adams did last season, he averaged only 8.6 points and shot 36% from the line. That is a disgusting number on three attempts. He also grabbed 11.5 boards. He had over two assists. He blocked a shot, overshot, and was at 0.9 steals and shot 60 from the field. So there are significant positives in his game and one absolutely glaring huge negative. And the scoring is a bit of a negative as well. But I don't think it justifies these rankings. 175th in nine cat leagues on Yahoo and for points leagues. I think he beats that easy. 135th for ADP on Yahoo. Well, that's I think he's better than that. Fantrax ADP 145, and then ESPN is at 204 for category and 185 for ESPN points leagues. For reference, last season, Stephen Adams was 94th per game in Yahoo points leagues. He was 110th per game in ESPN points leagues. His minus one ranking for category leagues last season was one of the biggest jumps of anybody, 72nd. And this, this is saying in an 18-team league, I wouldn't even bother, which... I think is really crazy. Now, he's not going to be for everybody. You might add him to your team and it makes no sense whatsoever. But there are going to be a, there's going to be a team in your league that this makes sense for. We did have that knee injury end of last season. And there are some people I know that just don't have any faith in him at all. And they think that Xavier Tillman, or sorry, Xavier T. Tillman is going to start for them, which again, I think he's absolutely insane. But Adams needs to play next to Jaron. Jaron needs Adams next to him. He is going to play those 29, 30 minutes. He's going to be a good rebounder. He's going to do those little things. It's not sexy. It's not great for it's not this great, unbelievable upside pick. But he goes undrafted everywhere. And for at least one team in your league, he, he will make a ton of sense. Now, at the start of this show, I said is Jaron Jackson one of the most overrated or misrated or I said somewhere like that, fantasy player. And 
Yes and no. Yes and no. You know I've been on a uh, a tear talking about the way that blocks in overvalues a player. You go and look and see that Jaron was the 12th ranked player last season, and it's clearly garbage, right? He, he wasn't. But because those blocks are so unnormally distributed, non-normally distributed, these putting up Z scores of 4.6, it gives this gigantic weighting to how good the, the rankings suggest that he is. And that's part of the reason that I went out and spent months of my time uh, trying to figure out this Durant system, which did drop him down. Now, I do think that Jaron is going to take a pretty sizable step forward in usage, at least early in the season. We have seen for so many different players, and Jaron as well, is that when the usage goes up, the block rate goes down. So we're not expecting him to do what he did last season in terms of blocks. But he's going to be a better scorer. He's a, he's a solid shooter. He's got room to improve in all those areas. But the stark differences here for Jaron across the board are, are interesting. He's ranked 21st on Yahoo. Originally, he was ranked 13th, which was crazy. He's ranked 21st now. His ADP on Yahoo is 16, the same as on Fantrax. But that is pushing down because rank influences ADP. He's going to end up with an ADP of 20. And that's not a sleeper for Jaron. That's probably getting close to being about right. Durant actually drops him to about 27th because of that sort of squishing of some of the values in blocks. And one thing, when I talk about Z scores for blocks in these categories and the non-normality of it, it's totally okay to use a regular Z score to compare someone's blocks to someone else's blocks. Because all that is telling you is how many standard deviations that player is away from the mean in that thing. And that's all fine because it's the same sample. But the problem that I had with it is when you're trying to use it to standardize across multiple categories. And that is telling you that Jaron's three blocks per game is the equivalent of someone scoring 65 points in a game or getting 22 assists in a game as an average. And that is just like, not real. Like it's not, it's not fair income. It's not a way to standardize things across. But then we go to ESPN and he's got a rank of 43 for nine category leagues. And that, that, that's what the hell is that? 36th for points leagues and an ADP of 45, which every one of those is, well, I say wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. Every one of those is wrong. Like it just, there's no reason for that to be the case. ESPN points leagues last season, Jaron was 36th per game. So they've just said, well, nah, nah, no improvement. He won't get extra shots without Jar there. And maybe the drop in blocks, because ESPN council was four, uh, offsets and increase in points for that early part. I don't know. But the category league stuff there is is crazy. So is Jaron wildly overrated? Yeah, if you consider him a fringe first round player. Is he a massive sleeper? If you look at ESPN's rankings and ADP, also, yes. So he covers both of those things. If you do want to enter the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl, easy question for you. Where did Jaron Jackson rank last season in ESPN points leagues? The answer is 36th. So just on the entry form, just write 3-6. Don't write 36 with a TH. Don't do that. Just write 36, 36, the number 36 in that entry form. That's all you need to enter to get there. And hopefully, I see you in one of those divisions. Let's uh, let's talk fantasy busts. Had to play my little stinger again. I didn't want it to go to waste. Uh, I don't think there's anyone who's actually a bust on this. Like I could have said that Jaron at 13 would have been a bust, but he's not anymore. The one thing that is a bust, and I didn't want to just put this in as the only 
thing to highlight here is Ja Morant with an ADP of 27 on ESPN. Batshit insanity. Now, he's ranked 102 in their category league ranks. Totally okay. We know he's missing 25 games. I don't know why anyone is drafting him at 27. That is insane. I know he's probably a first-round player per game or top 15, but don't pick him at 27 when he's missing a minimum of 25 games. Yahoo's got him ranked in the same spot. There's no one who I go that that's dreadful why they ranked at that spot. Again, Jaron, maybe marginally high. Bain at 22, maybe marginally high, but probably not. Okay, not too bad. Smart at 77. No, not really. That's totally okay. Steven Adams is asleep at this. This is no one who comes out as a bust on this team. Let's let's talk Jarm around now. 25-game suspension to begin the season. A reminder, I will get this argument plenty of times. People will look at Jar Morant and they'll say, Josh, you got you can take him at 50 because he comes back, fantasy playoffs, and you get a stud there. He's just not a starting category leagues in that way. He is okay. The value of his points and assists is really strong, and that can help teams, but his field goals are rough. His free throws can be rough. He doesn't get any steals. He's a lower rebound. He's not actually, let me just double check that. What he actually averaged last season. Yeah, six rebounds is okay, but lowish steals, low volume threes, below average field goals on high volume, uh, really quite poor free throws considering the volume that he takes as well. It's just all adds up to being a particularly not great fantasy category player. So for him to be, like best case for him category-wise is maybe 40th per game. So I'd want to take that outside the top 75, top 80 probably, knowing that not only does he miss 25, but... Then there's an injury risk on top of that. Then there's, is there another suspension risk? He would have said no, but I also would have said no after he was suspended the first time and this happened. So yeah, not doing it. Points leagues, it's really different because Ja Morant should be a top 15 player. He was 13th per game last season. So him in a points league at 60, start around six, when he comes back, like the risk that you're taking for a potential first round player is not that big. But that return in a category league just isn't there. Brandon Clark tore his Achilles last season. The hope is that he returns post-All-Star break. But remember, he'll be on a minutes restriction. He'll be on a back-to-back limit situation. And they actually don't need him to play big minutes because they'll have Jaron, they'll have Adams, they'll have Tillman, they'll have Aldama. And Clark would be a rotation guy, of course, and they'd love to ramp him up. But there's no way that you draft him in fantasy. A, when he doesn't even have a big minute role to begin with, even if he was healthy, and then he's got to wait all this time, and then we've got to wait for him to come back, and we've got to wait for him to get into shape, which probably doesn't happen really fully until the playoffs anyway. Steven Adams ended last season without playing with his knee problem. That that cooked him in the playoffs, but he's ready, ready to go and uh, crack it on, which is great. Let's talk a trade option. I do think, I do think there is a chance that Brandon Clark might be traded. I've already outlined there are other options on this team. Aldama, Tillman, Jackson, Adams, maybe they believe in Kenneth Lofton. I don't know. Um, but they are in a situation where if they're looking to just get something back to really compete this season, they could send out Clark, dump even an asset on there to get someone back who's actually going to be a contributor on the wing for them this season. The team that have to trade that to would be someone who's not particularly interested in competing and is looking for an interesting big man like Clark who can be a quite good player. 
I actually don't think this is going to happen, but when I looked through their roster, I think that's probably the most likely guy to be moved. Just finding a team that wants to accumulate future assets and get something back now to really help you push through. Contract year player, it is Xavier T. Illman, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He did pretty well, I thought, in the playoffs. He had a really good rookie season. He struggled a little bit year two and was out of the rotation a lot, pushed back in and played well in the playoffs and will have a rotation role as long as Brandon Clark is out. But he's not going to be anything more than a deeper league fantasy guy unless Adams is hurt and then he'll push into a larger role and then he will become a 12-team league option if Adams doesn't play. The risks in the rotation that we don't know of or we can't foresee at this point, what if Taylor Jenkins actually does decide to go bigger? One thing about Jenkins to note also is that the Grizzlies, and this is going to be really interesting in Toronto, that the Grizzlies don't play their guys' minutes. Now, part of Jaron's low minutes is some of the foul stuff, but it's also they just don't play them big minutes. So, you know, 32, 33, and Darko Ryakovich, who's gone up to Toronto, was on this Memphis staff. What if he brings that mentality to Toronto? Be aware of that when you're drafting Scott Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Ojin Anobi. If they play 32 or 33 instead of 37, well, that's a big difference. That's just a side note completely here. Um, what if they decide, well, Aldama can shoot. Let's try Aldama, Jaron, and Adams together. Jaron and Aldama can both shoot, can guard the perimeter. Jaron's pretty good at that as well, as well as protecting the rim. And that's because those small forwards just aren't working. There is a chance of that. They didn't really do it at all last season, but there is a chance. The small forward committee, like, are they just going to run like 20 minutes each for all of those guys? Does someone win out? We always want to keep an eye on who's going to win out there. And the other one is Derek Rose, who's on this team. I don't know why they committed to him. They want him to mentor Jamarant. I what They should have just got Kevin Porter in to mentor him. I Not that Derek Rose is the same as Kevin Porter. He's not accused of domestic violence, but he does have credible rape allegations against him and has left teams without telling them in the past. So I don't know why he's considered a mentor option for Ja. Although, to be fair to Rose, he's been much better. Um, and he's been really quite good for the last four or five years or whatever it is. And players do love him. I understand that. Um, but what if he's just cooked? He got taken out of the rotation by his godfather, Tom Thibodeau, last season and said, we can't do this anymore with you, old mate. So we know he's had a lot of knee problems, a lot of ankle problems. He's going to be forced into being the backup point guard while Morant is out. He might not be able to do it, which means they have to rely heavily on Canard and on Bain to be the secondary ball handlers behind Smart, which helps those guys. But if Rose just can't do it, there is a real chance of some other guys having to gain um, some extra value. There are two guys, I could have included a third here, two guys who you'd consider some permanent monsters. Brandon Clark, if you ever played 28 a game, he'd be a top 70 fantasy guy. Huge field goals, pretty good blocks, pretty good steals, pretty strong free throws, good rebounds. He's a very good fantasy category player. And the other one is fellow big man Xavier T. Illman, who's a very good steals guy as a big man. I think he's got some passing chops and some shooting chops, which haven't all come through yet in the NBA. But these are guys that if they're forced into larger roles, you'd want to roster them. The other one is Ken Lofton, who put up what that 40-pointer in the final game of the season. I I know he's a, a, an interesting guy to watch. You don't see many actual big chunguses like that at six foot eight playing center with an ass that's also six foot eight wide throwing their weight around and scoring the way they do. Like, he can't defend at all. And, yeah, he's got some interesting shooting ability. He can pass a little bit, but I don't think that he's an NBA caliber rotation guy. But if he was getting rotation minutes, then he's an interesting fantasy player. I just don't think it's going to happen. 
But I, and I, he's not quite even as good, I think, as Clark or Tillman in terms of permanent production. The depth chart, I've, just, I've got Morant on the bench there cause, you know, just to say how we're going to start the season. Mark Smart will start. Smart is totally okay. Round eight in fantasy leagues. Points leagues, you're probably pushing back around nine. Even if you want to go round seven in category leagues, I don't think that that's... I don't think that's horrific. I think there is value in that. People really denigrate Smart's fantasy game, and he did drop off a little bit last season. That's true. But I do think he's got an opportunity to put up a pretty sizable, um, interesting season where you can get him at relatively late spots. Like ESPN's got an ADP of 105 on Smarto. I think you can get a couple of rounds of value on that. Derek Rose also in the depth chart there, and Jacob Gilliard's a two-way player. Decent high assist rate. Watch him if he ever gets minutes, if Rose is washed. For the wings, they're going to start Bain and Canard. Canard would be a late-round pick who you'd probably drop after 25 games. But he got a, he got a 15 points with three threes and maybe four assists to begin the season. That's useful enough. Then there is Lil John Concha, who's also a really good fantasy player. Vincey Williams and Zaya Williams. Concha, Canard, watch those guys. They can play the two and the three, and they could get some extra minutes early on in the season. In terms of forwards, I don't think they're starting a traditional forward this season, but their reserves are Roddy and LaRavia, who could start at the three. But um, yeah, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not predicting them to start. There. And the other one is Gigi Jackson on a two-way, really high scoring upside, efficiency issues. Probably doesn't play at all for this team, really, mainly for the the hustle. I would guess most of the season. And they're going to start Jaron and Stephen Adams as their two bigs, and then behind them is Aldama, Tillman, Clark, and Lofton. I think I've covered most of the players. As I said Jaron is okay if you want to grab him very end of round two in category leagues. Um, start of round three is probably more like it, but just understand how the blocks thing can skew some of the valuations of players. The way that Durant and Bazemore looks at things, it actually drops the value of the duck, Luke Kennard. It drops the value of Jaron Jackson, but it does bump Tillman and Smart. Smart is really well liked by the Durant system, so bear that in mind. And if you look at Bazemore, which is my dynasty metric, um, it's got Bain really high. Top 15 player. In Dynasty Leagues. That is, that's high. And I'm I I look at that and go, hmm, very interesting result to spit out. It's got Jaron inside the top 20, which is totally reasonable as well. At the moment, my Bazemore is built off Durant, but when it does get released, you'll be able to build it off whatever rankings you want. Straight nine cat, minus one rankings, um, punt turnovers, punt assists, fantasy points. You can build it off whatever. Jamarant is not ranked in the top 40 for my Bazemore ranking because, again, he's never shown an ability to be a consistent consistently good category league player. And then there's availability concerns that are baked in there too. And David Roddy actually came out a little bit better than Jake LaRavia. I didn't expect that. He did come out top 200. I don't really see Roddy as a viable NBA player super long-term, but he did come out with a ranking on Bazemore better than I thought he would be. And that does it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Please thumb it up and please leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. We're just normal men. What do you mean, normal men? We're just innocent men. <laughs>